Our scripture reading this morning will be from 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. When Philip asked me to read this, I told him I read it last night, and I'd catch myself reading, going back up a half a page, trying to remember which, which man did what. We're talking about Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel who come to Shechem to make him king. And it came to pass when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, was yet in Egypt, heard of it, for he was fled from the presence of King Solomon, and Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt, that they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and spake unto Rehoboam, saying, Thy father made us made our yoke grievous. Now therefore make thou the grievous service of thy father and his heavy yoke, which he put on upon us, lighter, and we will serve thee. And he said unto them, Depart yet for three days, then come again to me. And the people departed. Good morning. You may want to keep your Bible open to 1 Kings chapter 12. That will be our main text this morning as we study. We're glad that you're here this morning. It's so good to see you in worship. Uh, To our visitors, we extend a warm welcome to you. I know uh, some of you are in town to visit family. We will have members from here on the road as well. And so for all, we pray uh, safe travels during this holiday season. We are in uh, the story uh, going through God's plan from the beginning, a 31-week study, and today we're in week 14 of that, uh, right in the middle of 1 Kings. And so that's where we'll be studying from this morning. And as we uh, set up the message and start thinking about today's text, I want to take you back uh, to 1988. Uh, The summer of 1988 was a very busy one for me. I graduated from school on June 4th. I got married on June 25th. On July 11th, I went to work at Georgia Pacific in Atlanta, And I was hired into a division of the company uh, that was pretty much in chaos. And a lot of the chaos uh, resulted from the fact that so many people were new. Uh, Dave, our division controller, he was new. Uh, Our accounting manager, Sandy, on our side, she was new. My direct supervisor were new. There were a lot of new people. And and because everybody's new and and people don't totally understand what's going on, uh, chaos was the result. Uh, As things went on, uh, you know, first couple of weeks, I'm working to 10 o'clock at night and 11 o'clock at night, and I'm thinking, I don't think this is what it's supposed to be like. Well, as it got worse, people started talking. Chaos breeds gossip, and chaos breeds unhappiness, and so all this talk is going on. And so finally, Dave, our controller, he decided he would try to rein things in, and so he started inviting each of us into his office one at a time, and he gave some advice the day he brought me in that I found to be very useful. He said, Philip, as you form your opinion about what's going on here in our division and what's going on in our department and the way I'm leading us, this is what I want you to do. I want you to form your opinion about all of this based on the way you personally have been treated. And he said, the reason I want you to form your opinion that way is because your situation is the only one that you have full knowledge of. Uh, People are talking and they're talking about things they don't understand and that they don't have full knowledge of. And so if you'll just base your opinion on how you've been treated, you'll be a lot better off. Well, that was excellent advice. It helped me through that. Uh, it's, I've used that a number of times through my working career. I've used that with my folks. It's, it's excellent advice. 
I put the word out this week asking for folks to, you know, tell me about a time when you received some advice and you followed it and you were really glad that you listened. Or, you know, tell me about a time where there was some advice given and you ignored it and you lived to regret it. Elizabeth Wagner was kind enough to share about her uncle and how he would talk about you need to avoid the potholes of life. And, and she went on to say that one of the things that he would encourage folks to do, if you want to avoid the potholes of life, you must become a good listener. If you're going to gather good information, you've got to learn to listen. Well, that's excellent advice. Bonnie Smith, who was in my youth group years ago, uh, she's down in the Dominican Republic now doing mission work. And uh, Bonnie sent me a message and she said, back in September, she said, I was in dire need of transportation. And so I went and I bought myself a motorcycle. And uh, when I went and bought that, I did not buy a helmet. She said, down here they're not required. Very few people wear them. She said, it's ironic because there actually are a lot of accidents. And so she'd had her motorcycle, not very long at all, and she went to the, the house church where they assemble, and uh, one, of the, one, of, one of the Christians there at church saw her pull up, and, she, and, and the girl said, Bonnie, you really need a helmet. And somebody else from church saw her and said, Bonnie, you really need a helmet. And so uh, Bonnie decided she'd get one. Well, that meant an hour-long bus ride two ways to get to the place where she could buy one. She buys her helmet, and she said, four days later, I wrecked my bike. And she said, when I wrecked my bike, she said, my helmet literally split into two pieces, ended up on the other side of the road. She said, that helmet saved my life. And you could make the case that the advice of her friends helped save her life. Art Linkletter, Art, excuse me, Linkletter tells a story from years ago. Walt Disney was buying up property in Anaheim, California, and they were friends, and, and the message from Walt to Art Linkletter was, you'd better buy up any property around here you can. If you can buy some of it up, I can promise you it's going to go up in value. And, and, and Linkletter said, you know, I had my doubts, and I, I didn't really believe it, and I didn't buy anything, and he said, to this day... I regret not following that advice. And this morning we're looking at Rehoboam. We're looking at 1 Kings chapter 12. And uh, we're, we're looking at a king who followed some bad advice. And God uses King Rehoboam's bad decision to fulfill a promise that we talked about last week. We talked about Solomon and we talked about how God, when Solomon married the foreign women and when his heart was turned away and when his heart was divided, God came back to Solomon and said, I'm going to pull most of the kingdom away from your family. Now I'm going to do it during your lifetime for the sake of your dad. And I'm not going to pull it all away for the sake of my promise, but I'm going to pull most of it away. And so through Rehoboam's bad choice, God pulls Israel from him and he's left with just a remnant. He's left with Judah and he's left with Benjamin. And so I want to spend a few minutes in 1 Kings chapter 12 and notice what's going on here. Notice the advice and then see what we can learn from King Rehoboam. Now, Brother James, he read the first five verses where uh, he's coming to power, he's taking the throne. When a new leader arrives, you want to uh, set a statement or set a tone for how your rule is going to be. But as he's arriving and taking power, uh, the elders of Israel, along with Jeroboam, they show up with a question. They're, they're making a request. Uh, Solomon was kind of hard on us. He taxed us heavenly, heaven, heavily. He worked us hard. And, and you, could you could say that they're taking a shot at, at Dad, you know. 
And you could also say they're issuing a bit of an ultimatum because the request is, if you'll lighten the load, we'll serve you. Well, the other side of that is, if you don't lighten the load, we're not going to serve you. So you could view that as an ultimatum, but they show up and King Rehoboam, he reacts in a wise way in the one hand. He says, give me three days. And when we're caught off guard and we're not sure what to do, and you know, it's wise to buy some time. And so that's what he does. He says, I need three days. And so I want to pick the reading up in verse 6 of 1 Kings chapter 12. King Rehoboam consulted with the elders who had served his father Solomon while he was still alive, saying, How do you counsel me to answer this people? Then they spoke to him, saying, If you will be a servant to this people today, and will serve them, and grant them their petition, and speak good words to them, uh, then they will be your servants forever. So he goes and he talks to the right group of people. The, the, the inner circle from Solomon, they would have had the best knowledge of, of what had really been going on if the people actually had been overtaxed and overworked. And of course, God kind of said that would happen when everybody started asking for a king. Samuel had tried to warn everybody. But that inner circle, they were the guys who would have known. And so he went to the right place and asked for the right advice. But notice his response, verse 8. But he forsook the counsel of the elders uh, which they had given him and consulted with the young men who grew up with him and served him. And so he doesn't like what he hears. And so he goes and he asks... The guys who are his contemporaries, the guys who he runs around with, the guys, you could call them his yes-men. They're already serving him. They're not going to go against him. And in asking them, it's like throwing fuel, uh, gasoline on the fire. Verse 10, the young men who grew up with him spoke to him saying, Thus you shall say to this people who spoke to you saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, now you make it lighter for us. But you shall speak to them, My little finger is thicker than your father's loins. Whereas my father loaded you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Their advice is you drop the hammer on these people. If they're going to whine and they're going to complain, you make them understand that they don't know what bad is until they've dealt with you. Well, that's the advice that Rehoboam goes with. Verse 12, Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day as the king had directed, saying, Return to me on the third day. The king answered the people harshly, for he forsook the advice of the elders which they had given him, and he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I'll add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I'll discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people. And they left. And they made Jeroboam their king, fulfilling God's promise. As we think about Rehoboam and as we think about his bad decision, I believe there's a question that that ought to come to mind for us. When we're asking for advice, what is it typically that drives us to go ask for advice in the first place? Now, there are times in our lives where we legitimately, we don't know what to do or we legitimately do not know what's best. But think about how things normally play out in a scenario where we're honestly looking for good advice. We end up in a conversation. 
We end up in a situation where we're pouring out our heart and we're explaining our dilemma and we're walking through the pros and we're walking through the cons and we're thankful that there's somebody who will sit down and and work through this with us and typically we've sought out somebody that we regard as maybe more mature and maybe more wise than we are and we'll value their counsel if you know we may have a thought we may have an idea but because we value their counsel they may they may help us be smarter and they may take us in a direction we weren't even thinking about but see that doesn't seem to be the scenario in 1 Kings chapter 12 does it aren't there times where we're faced with something and we pretty much know what we want to do and all we're really looking for is for someone to validate us doesn't that sound a lot more like what's going on in 1 Kings chapter 12 Marquis de Lagrange said when we ask for advice we are usually looking for an accomplice. You know, somebody to be in the boat with us. You know, often today a a person will post their plight publicly and somebody will weigh in with a response that says, well, hey, you just follow your heart. Well, that might be good advice. That might be a disaster waiting to happen, but when you tell somebody to just follow your heart, what you're really saying is you just go ahead with whatever you already had in your mind. And, and, and if, you know, if God's not controlling that person's heart, they may be on their way to a disaster. Think about Rehoboam. He asked the elders that served his father, the guys he should have been listening to, but, but he didn't like the response. It wasn't lined up with what he was thinking about. And he evidently wants to prove a point. And most of us have been there in some context that that non-spiritual satisfaction that comes from having flexed our authoritative muscle in some ways. We've been there. We understand that feeling. So then he goes to his buddies, the yes men, the guys who serve him, the guys that are never going to cross him, and they validate him. And their validation costs him most of his kingdom. If you can walk out of here with one thought today, if you can walk out of here with one big idea and kind of carry that away from this study, it's kind of a confusing statement, but the, but the statement is this. It pays to pay attention to who you pay attention to. Now, it's kind of confusing. I'm going to go through it again. It pays to pay attention to who you pay attention to. Grammarians, it might need to be whom. And I realize that. Those two confused me. I studied it. I really wasn't sure. I think I've got it wrong. Somebody will help me afterwards, I'm sure. As we go to a few additional passages of Scripture, I want us to think in terms of... We're going to go into Proverbs. And I want us to think in terms of, as we notice three or four passages, what is it that God is saying about where I either should be or where I should not be obtaining knowledge, obtaining wisdom, obtaining counsel? What is God trying to communicate to me through Proverbs? And you get the irony here, don't you? If Rehoboam had simply stayed within his own family... David, Grandpa, had written down some things. We talked last week about Solomon and the fact that Solomon was the guy that everybody wanted to hear. 3,000 Proverbs, 1,005 songs. If he'd have just leaned into and embraced what his own family had written down, he'd have been in a better place. 
And it's hard to imagine that, that, that Solomon wouldn't have had his own family in mind in Proverbs 1 verse 8 when he said, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Imagine the difference it could have been for Rehoboam if he had just leaned into what his father had written down. Think about Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. It's interesting that Rehoboam does not ask God. Because that's one of the things that we see in the Old Testament. That's one of the things we see with kings. There are often times where either God speaks to them directly or they'll contact a prophet. They'll bring a prophet in and they'll say, I need a word from God. I need you to consult with God. Rehoboam does not do that. It seems like he's got his mind made up. It seems like he's leaning on his own understanding. What about Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15? The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Will I do what I want to do? Or will I listen to voices until I hear one that validates me? Or will I change my mind and alter my plans as counsel provides me with better information? You know, Solomon's inner circle, they tried. They said, they said, let's go with servant leadership. If you go with servant leadership, these people will love you forever. But that's not where Rehoboam wanted to go. Think about Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22. Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many um, counselors, they succeed. My way, on my own, without any advice... It will lead to disaster. That's the message of the proverb. There's value in genuine counsel. One of the more recent series I've watched on Netflix, I didn't watch it years ago when it was out, but I watched The West Wing, and that's a look inside the White House and how the White House runs. And one of the things that you see in almost every episode is you're reminded of how much a president depends on those who advise him. He wants good information, and he doesn't want people who just will validate what he's thinking. He wants people who will tell them what they are thinking because they may help him get smarter. They'll help him make a better decisions. Good leaders make sure they are always being advised by people who are smarter than they are. Rehoboam didn't do that. And then finally, I would share with you Proverbs chapter 19, beginning in verse 20. Listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days. See, Solomon's saying that long-term wisdom will be the result of listening to good advice. So as we go through these passages out of Proverbs, do you notice any recurring themes? Do you notice anything that God wants us to know? Well, one, if I'm simply relying on my own thinking, I'm not going to do well. Uh, Two, the best counsel comes directly from God through His Word. I'm reminded of Psalm 1 verse 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law He meditates day and night. Now what if Rehoboam had been thinking that way? 
But then also the theme out of these Proverbs, I need to develop the kind of mindset where, where I regularly seek counsel from people who are smarter than I am, who are spiritually more mature than I am, who are spiritually more experienced than I am. And as we finish, I'll leave you with just a couple of concluding thoughts, things that run through Scripture. There's this recurring theme. You see it all the way from the Old Testament through the New Testament where younger are encouraged to receive counsel from those who are older. It happened in Numbers 11 when God provided Moses with 70 elders to help him with the leadership. Deuteronomy 25, there are going to be elders who sat at the city gate to uh, help intervene when people didn't want to follow God's law. In the New Testament, in 1 Peter chapter 3, as you think about the qualifications for elders and shepherds, first, you get the group dynamic of a group of people working together with wisdom, but you also read things like, well, not a new convert, not a novice, not somebody who's new to being a Christian, somebody who's been at this for a while, is the idea. And and then in Titus the second chapter there are instructions for older men and older women to set this example of how to live and, and a responsibility placed on them to help teach the younger men and the younger women. It's throughout Scripture. The question is if I'm a younger person, am I comfortable with that idea? Am I leaning into that concept where I realize older folks can bless me with their wisdom? Because in a lot of cases, I'm, I'm thinking we've got room to improve. The second thing that we can walk away with is that when you think about what was suggested by Solomon's inner circle where they say, why don't you serve these people? Lighten the load. Why don't you have an ear to these people? Why don't you listen to them and serve them? And if you do, they'll love you forever. The leadership they're suggesting is a lot like what we're going to see in Jesus later on, isn't it? You remember Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, where Jesus says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. And so if I'm ever in thinking in terms of leadership that wouldn't be consistent with the way Jesus would lead, then I'd better think again. Or another way to ask it is, is there ever a time where it's justified for my leadership not to be Christ-like? Lacking servanthood, lacking love. Because we've all experienced that scenario where there's a church person who when they get to work on Monday and run their business or they get to work on Monday and work in their business, whatever it is, they're a church person on Sunday, but then they don't lead like a church person on Monday. We've experienced that. Hopefully we've not been that person. It pays to pay attention to who we pay attention to, and it really all comes down to who has our ear. In Psalm 1-1 that we mentioned, the psalmist talked about how the man who would be blessed who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, and that seems to be what Rehoboam was embracing, but that's not God's plan. And so as we self-examine, do I rely on myself and potentially strictly on my own limited thinking? Or do I only seek counsel and input from others for the purpose of validating what I've already got on my mind? Am I a good listener? Do I need to become better at that? 
Is it my regular practice to seek wisdom from God through His Word? When I'm trying to make decisions, am I diving in and leaning into the Word of God to find answers? And then accompanied with that, is it my first inclination also to seek counsel from Christians who are more wise and more experienced than me? I mentioned having put out the word asking for people to tell me about wisdom and advice that had really blessed them. And uh, my friend Amy, who lives in Birmingham, uh, she, she responded and sent some information. And she said growing up, her dad would frustrate her with one of his sayings. And his saying was always, can't, never, could. And she said, the reason I didn't like can't, never, could is because that usually was said right before I had to take on a task that I was not wanting to do or comfortable with. And she said, but looking back at it now, that's really blessed me. Because she said, I'm shy, I'm introverted, it's, you know, it's not my thing to be able to easily step out of my comfort zone. She said, I was even thinking about my dad's advice the other day when I was changing the guts out in a leaky commode. Yeah, I don't know how her husband got her to do that, but I, I, we might need to visit with him. But she said, you know, that advice has also blessed me spiritually. And she concluded her, her thought to me. She said, God is greater than all of my inadequacy. And I think comfort zones is probably a good place for us to stop and finish this morning. By simply asking the question, is there some kind of comfort zone that you need to step out of today? Step out of this season. Uh, maybe, you know, we've got families together. It's a time of year where we reflect. You know, maybe stepping out of the comfort zone for you is listening to some counsel that people have been providing. It's, a, it's counsel where they're trying to get you to redirect your, God, your life more closely to God and you've been unwilling to listen to that. Maybe the step you need to take is to, to lean into what they're saying. Maybe it's going to work tomorrow and beginning to transition uh, into a servant leader. It's, it's going to work tomorrow and your employees are going to look at you funny and they're going to wonder what happened to you over the weekend, but you're going to completely change the way you lead and start trying to lead from a position of servanthood and loving people rather than constantly trying to prove a point. If something needs to change, maybe it's becoming a Christian. Um... People are praying about that already. And if you know you need to become a Christian, somebody's probably been already counseling you in that direction. They've been encouraging you in that direction. They've been talking to you about why that's important and they've been talking to you about why you need to get that done. The very best Christmas gift you could give this year is to give yourself back to God in obedience to the Gospel, being baptized into Christ. That's the best thing you could do if that's what you need to do. And not because it's easy... And not because it means you'll never make another mistake in your life, but because it's the way God has said He will save you. Maybe there's something going on in your life today where we can pray for you. And if there's a need that you have, as Bradley leads us in the song that's been selected today, let that be known while we stand and while we sing.